The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and sent to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Have you ever conjured up in your mind how a certain person would be, only to find that in meeting them, they weren't at all what you expected? I remember a while back, I was going to hear a well-known author whose name shall remain nameless. <laughs> I had read and been inspired by his writings for years and was looking forward to hearing him in person. However, he was not what I was expecting or hoping for. He talked very little about his thoughts and his writings and quite a lot about himself and how fortunate we were to be able to hear him <laughs> and how many engagements he had that year and on and on and on. And I was very disappointed. I suspect, and this may be a little bit of a stretch, that that was what, how John the Baptist was feeling as he sat in Herod's prison on the eastern side of the Dead Sea. In my case, disappointed expectations didn't make a very big difference. But in John's case, it made all the difference in the world. His ministry had come to a close. He was about to be executed. And he wondered if he got the message right. And he asked his disciples to ask Jesus the question, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? What were John's expectations of Jesus? Here he was, sitting in prison, and the one who was preaching about setting the prisoners free was walking the streets. John had preached with great conviction. His own announcement of the imminent arrival of the kingdom of God was filled with themes of approaching wrath and judgment on evildoers. He didn't come in fancy clothes and speak softly. John preached a tough 
line. He pictured God as a thrasher, separating the chaff from the grain. And he told people they had better pay attention now if they wanted to save their lives. Frederick Beekner, the Presbyterian minister and writer, makes this point in his book, Peculiar Treasures. He says, where John preached grim justice and pictured God as a steely-eyed thrasher of grain, Jesus preached forgiving love and pictured God as the host at a marvelous party or a father who can't bring himself to throw his children out, even when they spit in his eye. Where John said people had better save their skins before it was too late, Jesus said it was God who saved their skins. And even if you blew your whole bankroll on liquor and sex, like the prodigal son, it still wasn't too late. Where John ate locusts and honey with the church crowd, Jesus ate what he felt like it in Jerusalem with as sleazy a bunch as you could expect to find. Not exactly what John was looking for in a Messiah. And he wondered if he had the right man. God seems to specialize in turning things upside down. Neither Judaism as a whole nor John the Baptist anticipated the arrival of the Messianic Kingdom without such judgment. We can well imagine why John asked the question. The God of John's understanding seems to have become the God of his misunderstanding, and doubt seeps in. The doubt of John the baptizer was real. Somehow, Jesus' message of salvation and John's message of judgment got blended together, and he was unable to acknowledge one without the other. John's expectations of Jesus were not what he was hearing. We can only imagine what he was thinking when his disciples informed him that Jesus was holding young children on his lap and saying that you had to become like one of them to get into the kingdom of God. John probably thought that spending time with street people, those who were ostracized from the temple and home because of their diseases and their broken spirits, was a waste of time. But Jesus' actions speak volumes. No one is a waste of time in Jesus' eyes. In this time of soul-searching and longing in Advent, how do we reconcile the message of judgment with the message of love and forgiveness and acceptance? We live within that tension, not knowing when the end times will come. Jesus' message of love and compassion, mercy and justice, blessing and forgiveness, crashes through the barriers of time and offers hope to each one of us here this morning. Jesus is saying, today is the day of grace, the in-between times in which we are living, and God's judgment is being delayed we are being offered the opportunity to work out our salvation now. Jesus announced the presence of what he called the kingdom or the reign of God. He told stories, he told parables, and he used metaphors so that we could recognize what was obvious to him, but not so obvious to us. 
Throughout the Gospels, we hear, let those who have ears hear. Jesus refused to buy into the Old Testament theology that sickness was a punishment from God for specific sin. Jesus was and is God's healing presence in the world. Many of the diseases that were mentioned in today's gospel excluded a person from temple worship and ostracized people from their communities. Through his preaching and healing ministry, Jesus restored people to full fellowship within the community. Healing became a sign of restored relationship with God, of sin forgiven. He told his disciples to tell John what they see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. This is the healing that began with Jesus and flows down through the ages right up to us here today. Healing is not just about physical cure, although physical healing certainly do occur today. It is about wholeness, mind, body, and spirit. Healing is about transformation and love and acceptance. Teaching in the prisons one day a week, I am constantly reminded of what the possibility of transformation can mean for the inmates. Many of the prisoners have come from horrible backgrounds and are learning for the first time that they are not all bad. Maybe they are worthy in God's eyes. They made bad choices, to be sure, and they need to be held accountable for their crimes. But they can change and turn their lives around with the desire to do so and with a lot of hard work and with God's help. One inmate said to me last week as we talked about forgiveness, both forgiveness of themselves and forgiveness of others, the the concept of forgiveness of themselves, many of them had never even, they can't imagine forgiving themselves. They have such shame and horror at what they've done. And this man said to me, you know, forgiveness is giving up the hope of having a better past and moving on to a better future. And for some of them who will never get out of prison, it means hanging on to the hope as they are transformed. We, you and I, are conduits for God's healing here on earth. We are told we are to pray without ceasing for ourselves and for one another. We don't do the healing. God does the healing. I can't explain to you how it works, but I have experienced it myself and in others, and it remains a mystery. And just last night, I experienced it. Our daughter called us. They've adopted two little Russian orphans, a little girl and a little boy, four and five. And the little girl has spina bifida. She's five, and it was operated on in August. And my daughter, she had a a lump at the base of her spine. And many of you, all of you, have been praying for her for these times, the last six months. The the, uh, lump is almost gone. Thea said, you can hardly see it. I give thanks to God for that. Mother Teresa once said, when asked by a reporter, don't you get discouraged because so many of the people that you work with die? 
And her answer was, God didn't call me to be successful. God called me to be faithful. It was revealed after her death by her spiritual director, and that's a whole other problem, but I'll just tell you, that she did not feel God's presence in much of her life. Yet she continued on with her work with the dying. She probably had her doubts and struggled with them, but at the same time, she trusted God, even when she didn't feel God's presence. It, again, is part of the mystery. I know that I sometimes struggle with doubt, as John did in prison. Beekner says that doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. It keeps us squirming and searching and digging for the truth. We don't want to focus on the judgment and the wrath that John preached. It is important to remember that we are living in the time of God's saving grace. We still have time to get it right. Richard Rohr, the Franciscan priest and writer, says, Jesus is always inviting us to live in the final and full picture and not get lost in momentary dramas, hurts, or agendas. To ask ourselves every day, in light of eternity, will this really matter? As the body of Christ in our world today, we are working out our salvation one day at a time, sometimes one minute at a time. We see war 